You're listening to Horse Racing Heroes, Episode 3, Soul Power. Alright, how you doing? Not so bad. Welcome along to Episode 3 of Horse Racing Heroes, the racing podcast with no betting tips or current affairs chat. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, you know, they're, they're, they're great. I'm just, I'm just trying to do something different, you know what I mean? Uh, my name is Mark Walsh, not the jockey, unfortunately, and as you heard there from the great Jerry Hannon, this episode is about soul power. Soul power was trained by Eddie Lynham. He was one of the most popular sprinters of recent years. He ran 65 times uh, over an eight-season career all over the world and picked up five group ones. And I'm joined on this episode by Paddy Power, a man I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. And if you're looking for someone to regale you with a few good anecdotes, which coincidentally I am for this podcast... Uh, then there's no better man than Paddy. Uh, there's some real belters in there, so I really hope you'll enjoy it. So sit back, relax, and have a listen. Maybe run yourself a bath or something. Or don't, you know, whatever you like. Whatever you like. Your, your own decisions. Okay, so Paddy, I'm going to set the scene first of all for listeners. Um, so we're in the midst of the second national lockdown in Ireland, thanks to COVID-19. Myself and Paddy are on a Zoom call, and it's a Thursday evening, so I'm treating myself to kind of Karpaki, which is the cheapest Polish lager you can get. And Patrick, I don't know if you're treating yourself to a red wine or anything there, but... So, rather appropriately, we're glow-trotting with our beers. I'm on a Pilsner Urquell from Czech Republic. I'm going to open it with the bottle opener that we bought together on a romantic trip to Vegas to watch Conor <laughs> McGregor many years ago. <laughs> Excellent. What a start. There you go. Okay, so we're here to talk about soul power. So I'd like I'd like to start first of all by uh, you telling us about your connection to him for for those who don't know. Yes, yeah, so um, so I don't own him, unfortunately. In fact, all I am is the bloody glory boys. I mean, he's my mum's horse, and uh, so mum and well, mum and dad—they're all mum's names. So the mum's horse, really. So they've a, a, they've had a good few horses over the years, and um, soul power is probably their maybe a third or fourth or fifth horse, maybe. Uh, but it all began with Empirical Power, actually, who's back in, I don't know what, what how long ago it was, but it was a Christmas time anyway. My brother had met Eddie Lynham in Lily's Bordello nightclub in Dublin and was chatting to him and thought he seemed like a nice fella. And he, he mentioned him to Dad and Dad said, um, oh, I know him. He's a fine young trainer. Like he's, you know, he sends out his horses and he gets them placed behind Aidan O'Brien Hot Pots and then sells them on for profit. He's, a good, he's got a very talented or whatever. And, uh, and I think Willie might have suggested to Dad that he buys mum a racehorse. And so dad says, what he do is he, he, he talked to Eddie and he, they decided that rather than buy a horse, he'd go halves on a horse with Eddie. Very shrewd by Eddie, I guess, to try and get him involved and, and keep, keep him, keep, get dad involved and, and uh, show the commitment that he's going to have the half horse himself. So he bought this horse in Perigal Power. Dad gave it mum an envelope on Christmas Day with a picture of the horse and she started crying because she thought she just got a photograph of a horse for Christmas. Uh, and it was like it took forever over the Christmas dinner table to kind of persuade her that this is actually a good present. Dad had the hump because she didn't appreciate the present and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, and then he explained the whole story. The plan was that they were going to have this horse. They're going to run it. Hopefully, it'll be placed as a maiden and a good maiden, and then it'll sell, it'll sell on, and we'll, we'll have a profit. I think they've paid. I'm going to say like 30 grand, 28 grand for the horse between them. So 14 grand each. And they hoped that it would be placed, they'd sell it on for profit and then maybe buy two horses and then kind of build up a a few horses that way. So that was all grand. So Empirica went out. I think he finished second or third, first time up. Uh, They got offered, I don't know, 50 grand for it. Uh, 
they said they probably thought he'd get more for us to turn that down. And then it, then it, where, did it, it didn't win then. It was, it was placed again in a, in a really good maiden, I think. And they got offered a hundred grand for the horse. And so they were nice. And okay, now we sell this and so we take the profit. And then mum turned around and said, that'd be like selling one of the kids. So, <laughs> so she refused to sell. And, uh, but the horse then went out and won a hundred grand handicap and it's next start on Champion Stakes Day. And so uh, that, was, that was where it all began. He was a great horse, a front runner. But uh, I kind of divert from Soul Power a little bit because with Soul Power, it was once again a relatively cheap buy. It was, I think it was 32 grand or 36 grand between the two of them. And, uh, and Eddie just really liked him. And then the kind of the name came from... Um, so they, they, well, first of all, the colours is actually important. The colours was my great-granddad's colours. So dad's granddad's colours. And he resurrected them. They hadn't been raced in for, I don't know, since the 1940s or something like that. And he, 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 he knew that he'd owned a good few horses back then. So he resurrected the colours and they hadn't been used since. I don't know if they were, did he have to buy them or, or what way they sat, but he re- resurrected the colours anyway. And then uh, they decided that um, because Empirical Power, that was out of Second Empire, and so it was Empirical, therefore, and Power was just the Power name. And that was lucky then. So Eddie said, sure, that's lucky. You may as well do that with all the horses. So they kept the Power moniker. And for the soul part, he was, um, he was, it was, his breeding was Kalachi and Demerger. And so like Dad was saying, like the opposite to a merger is like soul, soul entity rather than a merged entity. So therefore it became Soul Power. And um yeah, and that was it. And then they just went on to, he probably, they, Eddie knew he was really good, but didn't really know how to train, never had a horse as fast or like that. Didn't really know how to train a, a sprinter of that caliber. I, well, that's probably not fair in him, but but just he was difficult to train, I think, because he just wanted to go. He had two speeds, like asleep at a million miles an hour. And it's quite, any trainer or sprinters will tell you, it's very difficult to to kind of teach them to keep a bit in themselves for the races and stuff like that. So they used to have to train him backwards up the gallops and all this kind of st- all this kind of weird and wonderful stuff that they, dis- they discovered over the time. But in his early form, he probably didn't show like just how good he was going to be. And uh, and loads of things happened. There's a lot of luck involved, a lot of luck and bad luck as well along the way during the story that I'm sure we we'll talk about. But uh, but yeah, he was um, like we had no idea. Obviously, back then the adventures we were going to go on with him. You know, we'll go. In, we'll start with his two year old season then. Um, pretty average, as you mentioned. He it takes him. He only wins on his fifth run. Um, then he gets beat next time at odds on. So I'm guessing like expectations were, were pretty low at this point. You're thinking he's, he's just an average enough. Yeah, so his fifth run was... Was that the time he broke the track record on Dortmund? That was his second, his second win, I think, maybe the following year. But uh, but yeah, so he the one there's one run there, his third ever run under Pat Smullen. In because uh, if you look at it there, so I'm just looking at watching here in front of me, so I'm not watching, I'm looking at the form. So his first run was on yielding in the Curra, he was beaten a length and a half, finished third over six furlongs. Second run was on heavy ground, he was second, beaten five lengths by Arctic over five furlongs. That turned out to be quite good for him. Arctic, turned out to be decent, I think. I remember watching that and thinking that Arctic must be very good. He was very well fancied that day. You know, we didn't know that he was as ground dependent as he turned out to be, but then he went to York. Uh, in August, the big sales race. He was bought in the the must have been the young the York. I presume the York sales at Doncaster, whatever way it works. They went to that big sales race in York, and Pat Smullen was riding him. He's sixteen to one, and he was kind of he was pretty well fancied. Like, but I remember I was on a Paddy Power media gig. We were bringing journals to the Ashes, and so we're in the Ashes, and uh, we're in this hospitality suite. And I told them all, back this horse, my mum's horse is going to win. Like you know, obviously not like me to you know ex- to exaggerate the, how, how well fancied it was. It was sixteen to one, so everyone backed. And I changed the telly over to to uh, to watch York. And anyway, over six furlongs, he he was like 
he got in like every bit of trouble going and uh, just got beaten half a length. Like, you know, easy could have won, looked like he was going to win. And just, it was a great run. Like, and just, just very unlucky. Like, someone would probably say afterwards that, you know, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in the race. Every gap he went for got blocked and all that. But still, uh, just got beat half a length, finished third. We all got paid. But the funny thing was, it was an exciting finish. And, uh, and our box just roared and roared at the finish. But just as we were started roaring, the England captain got bowled out. So everyone, the whole crowd just turns around, looks at our boxes. I don't even know who the bloody captain was at that stage, but uh, he's like trudging off. Like, and everybody's like giving us filthy looks up in our box. We're roaring this horse home. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. So then before he turns three, uh, you geld him. Do you know much about that decision? Like, how does that even happen? Does the trainer just say, listen, we want to geld this fella? How does, how, how does it come about? Uh, yeah, I think so. I presume so. I don't remember exactly, but I presume that's what that's it would have been. Everything's kind of Eddie's decision. Like he'd ring and check it with dad and all that, that all that kind of thing but it's always eddie's they're never gonna uh, knock back eddie because that's his job i guess to train the horse but uh he um yeah he just i think he was just precocious just basically he was more interested in the women than the than racing and just like you know he's sniffing around every filly in the yard and that kind of stuff so just they, just to kind of settle him down a bit he was quite headstrong you know they always say that about about coats and that that they're very they can be very headstrong it's a very narrow margin between you know genius and impossibility so uh, I think he was heading that direction we are just going to be very difficult to train and you know what it turned out like like his breeding isn't that strong he'd be the best Kalachi ever I'd say so his breeding wasn't that strong at this stage he'd nothing proven and uh, so while if he'd won a group one at 100 to one you'd be kind of going Jesus maybe you take your chances now and send them off to stud you're not going away and you, you wouldn't have had the longevity that we had if we hadn't gelded them I think so th- like the universe, for whatever reason, decided to chop his nads off. And uh, and as it turned out, it was probably good for him even, you know. Yeah, definitely. So then his three-year-old season starts. A, a few average kind of runs enlisted in uh, group threes. And then he goes to the York for the Nunthorpe. Uh, his first runner group one, I think. Um, he's 100 to one shot. And I'm sure there were people even wondering, Jesus, What's this? What's this fella doing here? You know, his form didn't really suggest he should be running the Group One really at that point. Yeah, it's funny. It, it, like Dad can take credit for that because um, he had he'd broken the track record or set the track record at Dundalk. Now Dundalk was very young, the all weather track at that stage, so you know there was not a huge amount of you, you didn't know how good that track record was anyway. And uh, so he'd done that, so he knew he was pretty good. Then they went to the Palace House in Newmarket. That was the key at the Palace House and he got beaten two and a half lengths by Equiano and Wayne Lorden came in and said he absolutely hated the track. He, he really didn't handle the, the whatever they call it, just the, the dip and all that new mark. He really didn't handle it at all. So uh, that it was actually, they were going like, Jesus, he really can mix it with the big boys. So that was the thing. That's just put it in dad's head. You know, he's able to mix it with these lads. Then he went out at Nace and he was beaten three and a half lengths. It isn't great. Then he's beaten four lengths. It isn't great. And then he goes to Tipperary. And, you know, he was disappointing again. And at that stage, Eddie was kind of going like, Jesus, like, like, what are we doing? Will we bother sending him over? Because, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself going over there or whatever. And Dad was there, no, no, look at his form. He's, he's only two and a half lengths behind Equiano. Equiano was whatever price he was for the Nunthorpe or whatever. He said, you can work it out this way. He's two lengths, two and a half lengths behind, doesn't have that much to make up. And all this kind of stuff. And he, he said, you know, look, he, he, he thinks we fin- Dad was here. I think we finished in the first five. We're entitled to, we're entitled to run and we, we're entitled to finish in the first five. And who knows what might happen. So. I said, feck it, we'll go anyway. So I went over there. As you said, he was 100 to 1. I was booked to go over and everything. It's all about me. It's not about the horse. But uh, I was booked to go over. The flight's booked. But I don't know if you've ever been to York, flying from Dublin. It's actually 
it's a beautiful track and a great place, but uh, it's a pain in the arse to get to because you have to fly to, I don't know, East Midlands or one of these, I don't know which, which one it is, but one of these ones that's miles away from the track anyway, and get a big long taxi ride on sh- shite roads. It takes forever to get there. And uh, and um, so I basically just didn't go. I mean, my flights are booked and paid for, I just didn't go. And, uh, <laughs> and But the only thing in my defence, I was actually on News Talk radio station on the Friday night, the night before the Nunthorpe. It must have been the Thursday night because the Nunthorpe was on Friday. And... Uh, it's on this late night, whatever. It wasn't late. It was half nine o'clock or half nine or whatever. But talking about, it. and I actually tipped him up. I said, "Look," he said, "I he's a hundred to one, but my old man has forgotten more about racing than I'll ever know, and he thinks he'd be in the first five. So he's going to be in the first five. Why not the first three? And I, anyway, I tipped him up at a hundred to one, and a load of load of people backed him. Like a load of my friends heard it, heard it on the radio and backed him. And a load of my mates were on a stag do that weekend. I sent him the message saying, "Listen, you got to just back this just in case. Get everyone to throw a tenner on or whatever." And they didn't. But there you go. Good enough. <laughs> So, uh, but, uh, so it was great. So, and that was an unbelievable run because I don't know if you remember the, if you watched the race back, you probably did. So Star Spangled Banner was the, the red hot thing that the Kuamore had just bought. And um, he was, Johnny Murta was riding that. Wayne Lorden was an our lad. And um, he kind of doesn't get a mention till late in the race because he's a hundred to one. Just shows how like commentators are just as biased as we would be watching the race. Going, ah, that, that's got no chance because it's a hundred to one. And, uh, and it was a horse called, what was it called? Something Rose. Uh, hang on, I have to look in the race here. Something rose that made the race for us uh, because uh, it was, was it Rose Blossom or something? Hang on a sec. I was, I'll find it later because the, the point was, my point is they went so fast. Uh, rose Blossom, that's who it was. Yeah, it was um, Richard Fahey's horse. They just went so fast in the race that everything was just off the bridle after two furlongs. I could never get going. And he just loved it. Like they, they, that's that's what happened to him is, or that's what we discovered, not even that day, but even later in his career, just his cruising speed was just very unusually fast and so it really suited him because because it didn't suit the others like people say you know uh like the soft ground is great for us because it inconveniences loads of the horse like so a slow pace is terrible for us but it was the fast pace was great because it everybody's uncomfortable the whole way through and he's in his comfort zone and when you ask him at the end to press the button it's not that he takes off it's the last furlong is never as fast as furlong but actually everybody else is slowing down at the end of the race and he's just only starting to rev up you know you guys got as we, as we found out, he's got like about a 200 yard sprint in him. And whenever you press the button in the race, he's going to give you 200 yards and that's it. And so you try and hold on to it for as long as possible. And, uh, but that day at York was just fantastic because you're kind of watching, you're waiting. And then you're waiting. I was out with the, I was out collecting the kids from something or whatever. And I got back and it was, the race was just about off and I jumped out of the car and ran in. The front door was still open and uh, I ran into the front and turned on the telly or whatever. And I was watching it. So it didn't even have a big occasion where we all sat down together to watch it. Just legged in screaming to get, you leave me alone, I'm trying to watch the race. And, uh, Turned it on and uh, and roaring at the TV and roaring. The neighbor actually came in and said, is everything okay? Because the door was wide open. The car door was open. I was screaming, shouting or whatever. And uh, (laughs) and it turned out that uh, uh, anyway, he won and it was brilliant. And I backed him. And as usual, like I was delighted myself. I had, I think I had 50 each way on the tote and I had 50 each way with the bookies and both paid 100 to one. So I got 10 grand basically, which was deadly. Um, But I was just, knowing that if I was over there, I probably would have had more on. So like my brother got a new car basically out of it. Like, cause it was 275 to one at some stage on the betting exchange. So on Betfair, so in the ring, the, the, the price, he said every time went over a hundred to one, he just had 10 or each way or 20 each way. So he, he, he said there was silence. All the bookings in the ring were just silent when he went by the post. Cause he'd absolutely cleaned them out, taken their pants down completely. Like, so it was great. He used to say to daddy, you're not going to back it. He said, no, no, the prize money's fine. I used to always go, well, I'm not getting any of the bleeding prize money, but, um, 
but it was just it was a fantastic day and you know i wasn't there unfortunately i really regret not being there but i know apparently my old man shed a tear and everything and it was just yeah it was lovely like you know it was really, really nice and that was the start of it well it wasn't the start of it but it was at the first huge milestone of the adventure so remember then we came back and we had a dinner we got like our family and eddie's family had dinner in um some fancy hotel in dublin and i remember hilarious as i always am I went out to the concierge and I asked for a needle and thread and I, Eddie made his speech at, at the table whatever, and then I threw in the needle and thread I said, would you ever sh- sh- sew his balls back on? But um, it was, I thought it was really funny but nobody else kind of did. But... <laughs> well, I've enjoyed it and I'm sure yeah. the listeners have enjoyed it. But uh, I know you didn't make quite as much as your brother off it but I mean, you did tip him up on the radio which I'm sure you've been dining out on ever since so uh, there's always that. Last, last time I tipped a winner on the radio which is 2010 <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> including my tipping podcast <laughs> <laughs> so that's that ends up being his last run of the season did he get hurt or anything or did was he just being minded or what uh i think it was like a bit of like he's done enough now and like where else do you go after york at that stage we we're thinking he was only three was he three or four three or four yeah, he's three yeah he's three three he's only three so you're probably kind of saying look you know uh i'm not sure where you go probably had no other plan after that after that you'd be thinking possibly Longchamp and, and stuff like that but you just mightn't have had that planned out in advance and probably as a three-year-old you're thinking like you know what maybe we're going to be racing with him he's a gelding now so we're going to be racing with him again so that's mine I mean his sprinters tend to improve with age and tend to improve with their racing and uh, and I think then the plan was kind of formulated then in the off-season saying well look he's a group one winner so he's entitled to go to every dog fight in town so I think he got an, I think possibly got a I think almost certainly got an invite to Maidan as a group one winner at that stage of the Dubai World Cup they would have been trying to get as many kind of champion horses there to build it up and and a lot and a lot of his big races through his career it's actually bananas how it works but like you know the big boys don't pay like so you, you get invites to Hong Kong and Maidan and Australia and all this kind of stuff and it just costs I don't know, 50 I don't know how much it costs 50 grand to get the horse there but it's all laid on by sponsors for the for the big horse and the big names but uh I guess it's the same in every sport, isn't it? But um, yeah, so that so that season, then you're thinking, okay, this is it. Like mom and dad are going, like Jesus, we've won a group one. That's just never going to happen again. We got to enjoy it, and it was great. The whole family were, well, except for me, were there, and um, the important people in the family were there. And then they have the big dinner and all that kind of stuff. So that's it. Just at that stage, then you know you've got your Christmas day, and there's like you have the Nuntorque trophy sitting there as kind of pride. It's just, it's just kind of cool. You know, it was, it was, it, it was a very important thing from then on in the family, just the horses were important, you know? Yeah. It, it sounds like just a real game changer for your, your ownership of horses. Tell me a little bit more about that, those overseas trips, just because I've always been interested in how that happens. Like does the, the, the crowd at Maidan just ring up Eddie and say, listen, we'll, we'll pay it for you to bring soul power over. Cause like you said, it is ridiculously expensive to fly a horse. Um, so how does that work? They just ring up Eddie and, yeah, and I think they just they they their logistics are brilliant. Because I remember I've asked other trainers about this that I've interviewed on the podcast that I've asked them about, it, and they they just say, look, it's actually it's a doddle because they ring up, and if you're going to go, they really just sort it out. Feel like, and especially if you, like as an invite, he'd it'd be paid for. Like what would be paid for is the horses, transport, and stuff would be paid for, and then they'd usually pay for say like two owners and or give maybe four people or something like that or whatever. Uh, it's usually that's kind of the way it works. So it would have been, I presume it was Emirates World Cup at that stage as well, or Dubai, it was be Dubai. Who's, who does a Maidan work? I probably should know. I better look that up. As soon as we won the bleeding thing. Um, there was the Alquaz sprint anyway, but sponsored by Emirates. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so Emirates would have put it on. So I think, I presume they flew Emirates as well. And um, yeah, I'm, I think it was just pretty straightforward. They go over there, they stay at the, at the, the hotel, at the track, 
I mean, for that one, they just went over for the <clears throat> for World Cup night. And I think one of the learnings from that was actually, you know, he got well beaten by JJ, the, bet, uh, the jet plane rather, and it was his first run of the season. And, you know, you kind of go, oh, it's a fine place to start, like against international sprinters and like, you know, Europeans wouldn't be renowned for the sprinting. So against the international guys, it really is playing at the top table. So he uh, <clears throat> got well stuffed. So you're kind of hoping that, <clears throat> excuse me, you're kind of hoping that that's not as good as he is and that the European sprinters just aren't that good. But figured after that, that maybe going first, it was too much to ask first run of the season and that. So I'd say that was the learning because in the years after that, he always went over for a prep run. And as it turned out, one of the stats that's interesting is that that was the first five furlong Alquaz and he ran in every five furlong Alquaz there ever was until he retired. So there you go. Um, so, and he's also he also holds a record for the. It still holds this record and probably forever will uh, for the only horse to run in six on six World Cup nights. Wow! There you go. So we'll get into later on. We'll touch on the night he wins, but for now we'll we'll talk about his four and five year old seasons, which are like he's running very consistently. He wins a Group Two, he wins a listed race, and he's running well in Group Ones without winning. It's kind of formative years for him in a way. It was it was a kind of was it frustrating but somewhat enjoyable nonetheless. It was, you know, I found it kind of a bit frustrating, like for me, because and this is just so typical of me, but I'm kind of talking through my pocket because I'm backing him, right? And he's running really well. And I, I, I said, wasn't that great? He finished third. And I said, yeah, but he's only six to one. So I backed him win only or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I was getting frustrated. But at the same time, knowing that, still I can see mom and dad, the fun they're having, they're going to, like they're going traveling all over the world, not all over the world this year, but they're still traveling a lot to follow their own horse. And they're running in the big race on the big day and it's just fantastic and they're coming home and oh i met john godson again and we had a drink with such and such and this and just you know meeting all these people and it's just it's a kind of a a dream nearly that that it's happening you know and and it's it's um yeah it was just it was special from that perspective and also then the family we we all started going we'd always go to ascot as a family for uh but not not actually just so far is the reason we always go as a family now but I would have been going to Ascot working in inverted commas. Dad would have been working there as well. He had a pitch at Ascot and mum would have always gone over as well. And so there was a bit of a family history at Ascot. So when he's running over there, it's really exciting having a runner. And, you know, he didn't win. He was beat by Prohibit, I think his first King stand. And um, so it didn't quite work out, but he had won. He won the Haydock. What did he win the, um, the race at Haydock that year? which is the Temple, uh, the Temple Stakes, yeah, which is a group two, which is good. And he beat Kingsgate native and, and beat prohibited. So that, that form has turned around in, in Ascot. But yeah, when you're winning, a, you've won a group one, you've won a group two, therefore you've proven you're not a total fluke. So you're saying, okay, we are actually this good. So we're a horse to be reckoned with. You're not never going to be 100 to one again in any race. So yeah, so it was starting to get exciting then. You're kind of thinking, then you're starting looking around at other sprinters and you're kind of going, Jesus, like some of these are six and seven and eight and you know, there's a, a long career ahead of you and, you know, the sprinters are like kind of forwards in rugby. They only get better with age. There you are. So we get to a six-year-old season in 2013. He, he starts off, he gets beat by Shea Shea in Maidan, but then come June for Royal Ascot in the Kingstand, Shea Shea is the 11-4-5, Sol Power is an 8-1 to one shot. This is his third his third attempt at the Kingstand and Johnny Mert is on his back this time and I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so... A couple of interesting things here. He'd been beaten twice by Shea Shea and Maidan that year in the on the in the prep race and then in the in the whatchamacallit, the Alquaz as well. He'd gone out and he'd won the new market race, which is the Palace House. Then he'd been beaten by Kingsgate Native, which was dis- I remember it was disappointed. It was a firm that day. Fran Berry rode him in Haydock in the in the Temple Stakes. And you know what? No comment about the, the tactics that day, but it wasn't exactly as we expected, I think, is 
is a, one way to say it. And so that was just dis- very disappointing. He was 11 to 10 favorite. He's backed off the boards that day. <clears throat> and then you're going to, to go to the King stand. And like you said, at this stage, we were aware. And the reason we were aware from the Longchamp, from we, we, at this stage, we'd been to Longchamp. I'm just going to see, we'd been to Longchamp and beaten. But at the time we were beaten in 2011, Keegan Latham rode him at, uh, and this is important to his career, rode him when he was beaten ahead by Tangerine Trees. Finished third, but beaten ahead. <clears throat> so he's very unlucky, like one half a stride and he was up. But what happened that day, he got a brilliant draw. He got a plum draw on the inside because in the, in the, in the Abbey, this is 2011 now, in the Abbey, you have to be drawn low according to the results. But he was behind, I think Prohibit was favourite that year. And uh, Prohibit, anyway, got injured in the race, but anyway, didn't, never went forward. So he got shuffled right to the back. And he had to come around everything. And so it was, he, he, it was an, a, a by mistake, like really massively exaggerated hold up run. And he came like he flew at the finish, like as he did, as he as, as was his want, and just didn't quite get there. Another stride, he would have been there. And I think it's just less than five furlongs, the the, uh, the Abbey. So that was what did him. And that's the only group one we never won in, in Europe. But anyway, the um, so Johnny Murta went out. Johnny Murta said to the guy leading the horse, Dave Mason, uh, on the way out at Ascot, he said, he said, after this race, I'm either going to be a hero or I'm going to be sacked. And Dave Mays goes, what do you mean? He says, I just watch. So Eddie didn't know. No one knew he was going to hold him up as much as he did. Like, he, like And Eddie was like smoked about 40 cigarettes during that five for the 60 seconds of the five for sprint, right? And uh, he just, it, like, it, 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 was, it was, I think the tactics was probably like keep him somewhere midfield. And then Presco at the two for or whatever, whatever it would have been. And Murta was here. Nah, do you know what? I think I'm going to just have him plumb last and see what happens. And uh, so that's you, you, like the big, that's the big jockeys do, though, you know. And it, like he it, it took a real chance on it because, uh, and it turned out it was a brilliant thing to do. And he just got to be he mugged Shay. Well, she was the far side of the track, but uh, as it turned out, you know, it was it was the way to ride him, and it was just brilliant. So I remember watching it with mum, and uh, we were up and there's an owners and trainers like platform, just the first level of the stand, there's kind of a, it's like a platform, little, little area that you can stand as owners and trainers. We were in there and uh, one was smoking away, really nervous. And, uh, and so you're watching the race. You're kind of watching on the big screens. You can't see because the crowd, but then they come towards you and you're, the angle, it just isn't great. Like the angle would favor, you're beyond the line. I think the angle would, fa- angle would favor the far side, which is where Shay Shay was. So I was watching on the screen and I just, then I spotted him and it's here. I said, Mom, he's coming, he's coming. And she said, where's her? He's coming on this side and this side. And uh, and then, th- then the line just came. And then I, I looked right at the screen and looked at it straight. I could see it and I could see them going over the line. I said, oh, Jesus. I said, I think he's just second. And uh, and she went, oh. And then I looked over the screen. I saw the still. I said, Mom, he's fucking won. And she went, but you watch your language. <laughs> all these, all these poshies with all the, all the English poshies around us, like looking around. And, uh, and then it was brilliant. That's- such an Irish man thing. You've just yeah, won the on the Royal Ascot, but she's concerned about your language. <laughs> and then I remember just walking back through the crowd at the parade ring and the well wishes and everything. And it just was just amazing. Like Ascot was, you know, that that that, that one at Ascot. It's great to be able to say that one at Ascot, but Ascot was was spectacular because that's it's the meeting we knew the best. It's so it's so glamorous and so big and important and. You know, it's the big race the first day. It just, I don't know, it was, it was, it was amazing. Like, so it was, that was really special that day. And then we had, and we were there for, we, we were nearly going to run him in the, in the, um, the Jubilee on the Saturday as well. He was, because sometimes the, the Aussie horses used to run over five and then over six at the, at the weekend. We had Slade Power, I think, running in the, in the Jubilee. And we were going to run the two of them. But then Soul Power just figured it was, it was going to be a race too soon from, and uh, yeah. So, but that was, 
yeah, just part of the journey. Like it's amazing you're able to talk about it as just just one of the races that you won, you know. But your 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 expectations that you asked like was it frustrating? Because the expectations do really go up. Like you expect every race you run in, you expect to win because you're if you think about it, he's a hold up five furlong horse. So you gotta think fast ground as well. Yeah, it needs fast ground, needs a fast pace. There's loads of things you need to fall in your favor. So he's had very few kind of real hard luck stories through his career. But at the same time, I'd definitely argue that he's had loads of really hard luck stories with regard to weather and ground changing and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, like because we would have won at least one, if not two more Nunthorps. Like it was firm ground arriving there Friday morning and pissed around the hotel and he got washed away overnight and then you or Thursday night rather and then you turn up on the Friday and the ground soft and you, you know you have no chance and that's really frustrating when that happens but you know shit happens like you just have to grin and bear it like you said but I can only imagine how frustrating that is to arrive fast ground yeah you've probably already you've probably backed them then <laughs> uh, back, yeah back them then even though they're four out it probably won't rain <laughs> <laughs> okay so he wins he wins at Ascot and then he's a couple of more runs that season without winning but there were still good runs and then he heads out to Sha Tin. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So I never went to Sha Tin. And this is the time. This is actually, um, this is really important every which way because we went to Sha Tin and uh, with Soul and Slade Power, <coughs> who we were lucky enough to have at the same time, both ran that race. And that was the, um, that was against Lord Canaloa, who I'd say is definitely the best horse we ever ran against, the Hong Kong Sprint. An absolute freak of a horse. I would, I would argue better than... Um, Jesus, what's that Aussie horse that came across the... Chatagua? No, it's ca- or Black Caviar, I'd oh, say. Yeah. I'd say, um, Lord, and Lord Canelo now is actually the big, the best sire in the Southern Hemisphere, or in, well, in Japan anyway, I think. Anyway. Uh, Almond Eye is one of his. Yeah, exactly. But the, um, anyways, but the, a couple of reasons why this is important, mainly from a, like a weird, the way things work point of view and a very lucky point of view. So that week... Um, a couple of funny things happened. First of all, it was the moment Dad were going out there to Chatin, obviously, and I was never going to go to that one. But um, they were going out there. Dad wasn't feeling great that week, so he went in to see his doctor. And he said to the doctor, said, listen, I meant to be going to Hong Kong. He went in the day before he's going to go. I meant to be going to Hong Kong tomorrow. I just don't feel great. So to make sure everyone's okay. And your man's here. Okay, check tomorrow. I said, oh, look, you know, when are you back from Hong Kong? He's going back on it on Wednesday or whatever it is. He said, well, come, come in to me on Wednesday. And uh, I'll have a look at you. We'd like to get you into hospital for tests or whatever. And he goes, well, geez, you're having me in straight away. Like, should I not go to Hong Kong? And he said, well, is that an option? He goes, well, obviously, if it's like, if it's serious or whatever, he says, well, yeah, I'd prefer if you didn't. And if he, and he says, okay, well, that's fine. If I'm, if, if I'm, you're saying I shouldn't go, I won't go. And, and he said, well, when do you want me to come in? He says, well, you're here now. You might as well stay here now. And he said, oh, okay, okay. So he rang home. We got to brought him in his clothes and all that kind of stuff. He was in the hospital that night and he hooked up loads of machines. And uh, I think it was the next night then. So the night, oh, it was that night because he would have been, it was a, at the time when he would have been on the plane anyway, he remembers waking up, being like fucking getting those electric things, like, like his heart stopped basically. And he happened to be in hospital, hooked up to every monitor going and ended up getting a pacemaker. He's totally fine now, but got a pace, but absolutely the jammiest man in the world. Like he could have been on a plane to Hong Kong, probably halfway through his second bottle of red wine. Do you know what I mean? And then and, and keeling over. So it was so lucky. But so that's kind of a serious good good thing that happened. But but also what happened was um, uh, so the two horses were on the race. Both are going over there in flying form. Slade Power was, was a really knew we knew he was really good at that stage as well. Soul Power was you know flying at flying at home. The race is going to be run to suit. Six furlongs was a bit of a worry, but 
Eddie's kind of going like, geez, they both have a great chance. And dad was here. Look, do you know what? The Hong Kong toad is so strong. Or no, do you know what it was? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. And the Hong Kong toad is so strong. He said, like, they're going to be 100 to 1 on the Hong Kong toad. And, and imagine what the forecast would pay. So the big thing is we all threw money in and we're going to just do this massive, we're going to do like a 500 reverse forecast so between the whole family, right? And Eddie and everybody was involved. And uh, anyway, dad gave Eddie the cash. He, he got the Hong Kong dollars. I gave Eddie the cash. He gave Eddie the cash and he's going to hospital. That was the one thing he was saying. You have to get Eddie this cash because he has to have the bet or whatever. So it was fine. So we got Eddie the cash anyway. And, um, and they get over to Hong Kong. And as it turned out at the track, Eddie realized he'd left the cash in the, in the glove compartment of his car back in Dublin airport. So, but he has an owner who's based in Hong Kong. So he rang your man and said, do you have a betting account? Could you do this bet for us? Whatever. So your man says, yeah, yeah, grand thing. And I looked at the horses, fucking no chance. So he, he actually, what he did is he, he did the same bet, but did both sole pair and slave pair, but in forecast with Lord Canaloa. And he got, I don't know, 60 or 70 grand out of the forecast or something because he had it with Lord Connell. But the point, sorry, the point to your question 100 years ago was that Solpar was second in that race, like beaten five lengths. Lord Connell absolutely hacked up. But Solpar ran a real blind over six furlongs to be second and to beat some really, really good horses behind him. And, uh, and it was a really, at that stage, was his biggest payday and his biggest payday for a long time to finish second in a big race. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable run, but like a really important story or important time in the life of the horse and the life of our family because the old man's health issues and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah. since then, he hasn't smoked his pipe since then and he's been really good, you know. Fair play to him and fair play to Soul Power as well. Getting yeah. more money for coming second than winning a, a race at Royal Ascot's in, in and it's great to get that because he ended up running four times out in Chatin in total. So I guess I guess that's an encouragement enough that you think he can place and pick up a nice few quid. Yeah. Well, that's it, and that because you, you like he's mixed it, he's mixed it everywhere, and you'd love to have sent him at other places around the world because he was so good. He would just turn up and he'd do his job and run his heart out, and the conditions were right. He might just fall from on the day, you know. Did you ever think about sending? I know you like the Breeders' Cup. Did you ever think about sending him over to America? We would have loved to, but uh, he couldn't because it's something stupid. I don't the exact. I don't this exactly, but he he had a tick as a foal or his mother had a tick or there was something to do with some tick he had in this skin he wasn't thick but he had a tick in his skin or whatever and that for forever whatever reason if you've ever had that as a horse you're not allowed to run in america so it was some stupid reason like that yeah because i think there was a, a woodbine sprint in canada as well there's a few different races that people have suggested that he does go for because they go bananas really fast pace which would be ideal for him. But uh, but yeah, you could never run over in the States, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a shame. Like you say, the fast pace would have suited him. Well, I, I never knew that was the reason, so that's uh, really interesting. Yeah. But we'll move on to 2014 then. Um, Sol is now seven years old. And this is this is the year, I would say, is it? Ah, uh, yeah, this is it. This is the, this is the season, like, because... <clears throat> and Sol's so 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 obviously closest to all of our hearts than, than Slade Power was, but Slade has to get a big mention because he was a champion as well and um he uh but this year the two of them were firing all cylinders together and it's just it was like i actually said at the start of this year i said to jane my wife i said look i'm literally going to be cheerleader extraordinary this year i'm going to everything so i'm just if you want to come along come along and she used to go oh, i can't go to Asuka because you know like the kids and i'd be going well, just get over yourself like jesus like this it, it, should i go the next time it's not gonna be a next time you know? <laughs> like but um just get a fucking babysitter but anyway uh, i know i in, in theory i could have got the babysitter too but the um but yeah so i just i decided at the start of that year i was going to be at everything i wasn't going to miss him again because i knew how special it was and dad kept stressing how how special like how unlikely it is to, to have 
the firepower that we have out of like two out of two horses to be this good and um and for them both to be running consecutive together as well it was just dream come true stuff and you know we, we knew that every day was a bonus like thing and i was bringing the hoof and the beauty the great thing about it was like you're having great cracking out but also the family are all there the grandkids are there everyone's there together and we used to always have better crack than night before because we'd be winding mum up something terrible because she'd be so nervous and drive her mad and you just go out and you have your party the night before just in case it didn't go right you know and you just you get to enjoy it either way i'm interested that your mum was so nervous because like she wasn't yeah you kind of had to convince her at the start of how good a present it was for your first racehorse and suddenly she's the most nervous of, of anyone be- the night before yeah but she's worried about the horse and she hopes it's okay i hope the jockey's okay and hope he doesn't get upset if something doesn't doesn't work out you know typical mammy like you know yeah. and she and she just you know she she loves being there and she loves being involved and she obviously loves the winning of it and it's just like you know, there's so many things like you know i don't know it's just it, it, yeah like things like getting presented the prize by the queen and like just just things like that you're kind of going like leading hell like you know how does that like not what's she maybe she is a big royal i don't even know if she's a big i know she watched she watches the crown she liked that but um just that kind of stuff we have a photograph for there herself and the queen having a good giggle and you're kind of going like that's weird hey, you have to excuse me while i open this can now fine don't worry and so, actually, something I must tell you that we've that happened in 2011, and it just popped, slipped out of my mind. But I think it's just to show a bit of, um, again, just funny anecdotes that happened and things that show a lot of goodwill within racing. So when he was at Longchamp, the year he got uh, beat Tangerine Trees, where he just got beaten by a stride. Um, that year, like so, at Longchamp, it's it's uh, it's obviously immac- this is the old Longchamp, but it's immaculate anyway. It's all little hedgerows, and even where the horses go for a little walk. And everything just beautiful and everything so he's out for a walk the day before the race and literally just wandering around just stretching his legs um on the lead or, or the, the rain or whatever getting walked around this kind of a parade ring type area and this pigeon flies out of a little hedge about knee height and smashed into his leg and gave him such a fright he jumped in the air fell down on the side and cut all his leg and so he nearly had to be withdrawn, uh, but they stayed up like so. The, his stable staff stayed up all night, and Jim Bulger's stable staff were there as well. They came in the, the two sets of stables that stayed up all night, icing his leg and having poultice on his leg to make sure he could run the following day. And he nearly, he nearly did. He just got short headed, but it just showed like the so two sets of stable staff went in and, st- and spent the whole night kind of icing and, and making sure he was okay. So it just it was it was a nice little thing that happened there you know the, the stuff that you don't hear about in the background that's the kind of work that goes into the big days you know yeah incredible helping out a rival yard i mean yeah you wouldn't be helping out ladbrokes in a hurry would you i would mark i'm a bigger picture type of guy you know i'm just a big hearted guy that's it you know look I at should have uh, said ladbrokes never heard of them <laughs> we'll just we'll just touch on, on uh longchamp over there he ran there five times no no look at all and it's just like you said the only group one in europe he didn't win and i know you'd have loved a winner on Arc Day. Yeah, it's it's the one that got away, I guess. And, you know, it's hard to think which one you'd swap. But at the same time, like this, a few times he ran there and he, sh- he like he could have won, should have won. But it's a funny race. It's thrown up some funny results. And I don't know why it's such a funny race, but it's it's weird. You can't even see it properly. When you're at the track, you can't see it at all. So it's the far side of the track. Even on the telly, it's t- I can't, they still haven't sorted out bleeding camera views yet. You can't see it at all. You don't know. The, the winning line just happens halfway through the race, it seems. And uh, so I think it's a weird group one. But at the same time, it would have been lovely to have bagged it and to be able to say he's won every group one in Europe, you know. And I can imagine you there on Arc Day. Yeah. Uh, I've been there a few times, yeah. We'll, we'll get back on track, so to speak. So 2014, seven years old, he wins the Palace House at Newmarket. 
And then he goes back to Ascot, um, trying to win two in a row, two Kingstowns in a row. And this time he's under Richard Hughes for the first time. Yeah, so we'd retired Johnny Mert at that stage, haven't we? So, um, uh, so Richard Hughes took over. And I remember bumping into Johnny Murta at, uh, well, Ryan Moore wrote him in the in Newmarket, first of all. And actually, interesting, Ryan Moore came in and he just won by half a length in Kingsgate Native. Got in all sorts of trouble in the race. And he shouldn't have really, because it's a big wide open track, but got in all sorts of trouble in the race and just got through and just got up on the line. And mum said, she, when she met Ryan in the parade, she said, oh, that was a great ride, Ryan. Uh, and he said, Mrs. Parrott, that wasn't a great ride at all. Your horse got me out of trouble. So I thought it was very big of him to say that, but um, but anyway, so he he would he was going to be claimed by I presume he's riding Kumar, whoever he's riding for somebody big at that stage anyway. So we knew we weren't going to be able to have him all the time. So and Eddie was really keen to have because he was he was a uh, was he a tricky ride? He was a, he needed a he need the jockey needed to know him. We thought, uh, but then Richard Hughes seemed like the ideal guy, even though the horse is tiny. If you see him, he's tiny so far. And uh, so Richard Hughes is obviously about 10 foot tall. So it was going to be, this is possibly a Peter Crouch on a Shetland pony type of moment. But uh, I remember meeting Johnny Murta at the Curra before Ascot. I think it was the day that Slade Power actually won one of his, his um, champion sprint or his sprint, his, some, this, the, the Greenlands thing it was. But anyway, um, that day I met Johnny Murta, I was chatting to him and he says, Jesus, Richard Hughes has me. He's I'm thinking about getting a restraining order out against him. He keeps ringing me so much. And asked me questions about your horse. And I was thinking, like, that's amazing. Like, so he did put an awful lot of effort into it. And and I think that was that was the perfect ride. It wasn't his best performance ever, even though it was very, it was it was the second best performance ever, I think. But I just think as a spectacle, it was a beautiful day, really sunny. It's a race you should watch back. You see that you can see the heat shimmering off the ground. It's a real there's one like you'd have an ad for Royal Ascot, you know. And he just he just travels so sweetly the whole way through. Richard Hughes said about two furlongs out, he thought he was too far back. And then about a furlong out, because he he gave him a little squeeze, about a furlong out, he thought he was going to get there too soon. So he had to take another tug on him. And then he just went. And it looks like he just got up on the line. But if you look at the still, the still photo of him across the line, there's no other horse in shot. So he wins pretty handy, like, you know, and it's um, it was just beautiful. Like it really was just a really sublime performance. And he, he uh, yeah, it just, that was just that started off a pretty spectacular week for the family yeah so well well Slade Power won later in the week and I know we don't like to miss an opportunity to after time so you definitely backed the double didn't you I did have the double yeah I did 12s and 14s anti-post it was uh I did and it was uh, it was brilliant Jesus and I remember when Slade was was running actually I know this is about Soul Power and Soul Power is the closest to my heart I have a big picture I'll just bring in and show you the picture in a minute but uh Slade Power that when he won on the Saturday like he was favorite now he's not maybe I can't remember he was, he was shortish he's seven to two or three to one favorite I mean, for the for the Kings for the Diamond Jubilee and I remember the crowd were like at that stage the crowd were uh were like from, as soon as he hit he was in front from like maybe three furlongs out and the crowd just started roaring and they started roaring the whole way home. As soon as you mentioned Slade Power, they roar. And mum was going, God, they really like Slade Power. And I was there, yeah, but he is the fourth favourite in a row. The other three are after winning, like, so, <laughs> you know, but he did. He, he won well on the, on the on the Saturday and that was amazing. And you know what the, the other weird thing about that Royal Ascot in 2014 is that um, because whatever way the results fell, like Coolmore, Godolph and Robert didn't clean up. So actually the champion owner of the week uh, joint champion owner of the week is Sabina Power. So there you go. Oh, hey. Two big group ones. Yeah. So which is amazing. Didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. Do you get a, do you get a little trophy for that as well? Then champion owner. 
Uh, there's so many trophies. I don't know. I just don't know what for, you know. Uh, and the other thing I must mention in uh, that the Kings when he beat Kings Gay Native that, that when Ryan Moore wrote him in the the Temple Stakes, no, the the Palace House Stakes that year. That was the year that um, when he came into the parade ring, he got a round of applause like before the race. When he wow. came in like before the race, and that's like and that was like when I remember Dad saying, "Jesus, like." They really do like him, like you know. It's like it's very unusual to see a horse getting a clap, like coming in, like Cotto Star, and we get a clap going into the parading before Leopardstown or whatever, you know. So it's very unusual, but uh, but yeah. So he was he was a horse that was pretty popular. Absolutely, yeah. And then even more so after he won the Nunthorpe that year. Exactly. For me, this is the most visually the most amazing one to watch. Um, Richard Hughes is just incredible on it. But I'll, I'll let you talk us through it if 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 you'd be so kind. <clears throat> yeah. So this was um, this was. He, himself and Slade Pair had both got ringworm after I don't know after the July Cup meeting maybe yeah maybe the July Cup and uh, so Slade Pair wasn't well enough to run in the Haydock Sprint Cup which is a shame because if, if he'd run he would have been an absolute penalty kick and that would have meant the Power family would have won every group one sprint that year over five and six but he couldn't run so Soul Pair ran and got beat anyway. but look anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a side story but, uh, but that day so we knew he wasn't he wasn't hundred percent because he's coming back after this ringworm. So he hadn't been training well. Or he, he'd been training, but he hadn't been training for a couple of weeks. Basically, he'd been off on the easy list. And I think ringworm, I don't ringworm is like a, an infection or something in the skin. It's not nothing serious, but they can't train during or something. I think it's really sore to put it like they were worried. The first time he had a saddle, that was like the first time he had a saddle on him since uh, he got since the July Cup meeting, and he didn't even run that day because the ground was too soft. Which is another story I'll tell you in a minute. But. Uh, they, they hadn't put a they couldn't put a saddle on him because of the ringworm until I think the day before the uh, the Nunthorpe and so Richard Hughes was riding him so there was there was it wasn't a huge amount of like obviously I was bullish but there wasn't a huge amount of confidence from the people who were sensible and uh, and Richard Hughes said during the race you watched that race you could see he comes kind of off the bridle a bit about halfway through he has he's he just gets left in a pocket and a bit of daylight and Hughes kind of goes from for a couple of strides then drags him in behind some just to find trouble again. And then towards the end, he like he just needs just I don't know like it was it was an amazing ride. It was a terrible ride, but a brilliant ride at the same time, and uh, more of a brilliant than a terrible one, obviously. But he got there. He just got there in the line, and it's just the most unbelievably. I feel sorry for Stepper Point finished second to him in about <laughs> ten Group Ones. It feels like, but uh, but just just burst through and got there on the line. And Rich Hughes afterwards said he just he just he was he went dead on him, and then he just dragged him into fine trouble and as soon as he found trouble again he came alive and he just went down he's real brave he's such a small horse but there's a great photo a photo from head on which shows soul power going through the gap with his eyes closed because obviously it was that small a gap he just went for it like at that stage you know and just i just got there so it was yeah it was brilliant absolutely brilliant but york was uh, york's a fab place it's really good fun over there it's like if you've never been to york you should definitely try and go there because uh it's kind of like real quality racing so it's a bit like it's a bit like Royal Ascot, but not quite as posh. Do you know what I mean? And the, the champagne's about half the price as well. I mean, it sounds like more my kind of gig then. I love uh, that thing about yeah, having his eyes closed for the, in that photo. And like, I mean, Richard Hughes intentionally going looking for trouble, and he's only like, he's only like two furlongs out at this stage. Like, it's not like he's this is at the exactly. start. And that's the thing, and that's that. But that's the faith that the jockey has to have in the horse, and that's the reason why the top jockeys are the top jockeys because they just they make these really ballsy decisions in races. Like load of load of people, a load of jockeys could have ridden the horse to run well in all these races, but it's probably only a handful that could ride them to win, you know. But the reason why the story is going to tell you was that's actually uh, one of probably the second worst day in Soul Power's career was the day at 
the July Cup day at Newmarket because um, himself and Slade Power had this real thing. It was like they're like two teenagers. Like the two of them knew they were really good and both wanted to be the number one in the yard and they hate each other. Like they just like, you know, and so the fact that they were stable beside each other in Newmarket and then it decided the ground was too soft for Soul Power. So he was just left in a stable. And when they were taking Slade Power out of the stable beside him and saddle him and up and everything. And then Soul Power was getting ignored. He nearly kicked the door of the stable down. He went absolutely bananas like, and he didn't like it at all. And then Slade Power comes home, like, you know, chest out. Because they know, like, they know bloody well when they win, you know, came back chest out and everything. And uh, and that drove him mad, I think. So that was that was one of his worst ever days. His, his second worst day, in fact, what his worst ever day was, um, Eddie always says, was the day when Slade Power has been paraded uh, as a, after he'd retired uh, for the, st- the stallion buyers, like, or the, like Darley Stud or whatever, whoever would come down to look at him in the yard, they'd have him immaculate and they'd be walking him up and down right outside Soul Power's box because he had the most prominent box in the yard and he used to he used to be kicked the door down again, he'd go mad. Like. <laughs> That's the worst day in Soul Power's life, according yeah. to Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And then uh, t- later in 2014, then you win the, the honour of, of winning Horse of the Year. Yeah, that was great. So we had uh, we had horse the Cartier Horse of the Year, uh, or it was a Horse of the Year in Ireland for Soul Power. Yeah, and, the, and sorry, Slade won the other one. But uh, yeah, so but that was brilliant. So myself and my brother were there. Mum and Dad were away, so we got up to collect it, and we were both wearing our Soul Power ties and all that kind of stuff. It was a great photo of the two of us. So there's a big proper heavy trophy as well. And um, and it was a even though there's not much more he could have done. It's very unusual for a sprinter to win it. You know, you're up against the, I don't, I'm sure Aidan O'Brien, I don't even remember what horse, something won the Derby that year or whatever. And I'm sure he'd had plenty of, but he, he certainly would have been the people's choice, I think. And uh, and it was and he was a very well received, like Eddie is a very popular, and at that stage as well, he was great crack. All his interviews are full of quips and he seemed to be a very popular winner. And, and that, you know, we were, we would have been, like this is the season, like we're on Channel 4 every Saturday, basically, and the family is getting interviewed every Saturday on Channel 4, and we're always there together, and everyone's happy. And I think we're coming across pretty well as kind of, you know, just excited and enjoying the moment. And like, I don't know if you saw this year after the Derby, um, one of the Magners, an MV Magners, and one of the Magners interviewed in his front room, his gaff over Zoom, which I know is difficult. He was after winning the Irish Derby, and his dog is asleep beside him. He's there. Yeah, I'm delighted that we won the Derby and it's brilliant. And the dog doesn't even wake up like, and you're kind of going, okay, you've won loads of Derby. There's no offense to them, but you've won loads of Derbies. And it's just a bit different, I think, when you see someone and you're just going like, Jerry Lyons winning or whatever. You know, you see like a really, because because they're not used to it, it just really means more or something, you know, and you see that excitement comes across. And I think that always came across on the telly and that for us. And it was always very exciting getting on Channel 4 and all that kind of stuff. And it was nice. Yeah, that's nice. Fa- family affair and different yeah. colors that you're not seeing in every single group one going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll go on to 2015 then. That starts off with him going to Dubai like usual, uh, where he, he's he's very well beaten in his prep race. And then he goes to the Alquaz. Um, that's his fifth time in that race. It's his ninth run out in Maidan. And finally, gets the head yeah. in front. Yeah, and this is, um, this I think is his best ever performance. And the reason why is because, and you know, I think... You know, after riding him the first day for the prep race, I think Richard Hughes was kind of going like, oh, do I have to come back out to Dubai type, type of thing? Now, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I kind of got the feeling that he was kind of going, oh, we've got no fucking chance, whatever. He just doesn't like it out here type of thing. But I went out there and he was absolutely electric that night. And I think the reason why that's one of his best performances is because the nearest European horse was five lengths behind him. So he beat the next best in Europe by five lengths over five furlongs, which is outrageous. And uh, 
And it was just, again, great ride with Richard Hughes, but just was, it was great to get that one. I, I wasn't there. Of course I wasn't there because I, I only want goes to the ones where he gets beat. But um, but yeah, that was, that was uh, they had a great night, mum and dad. They went back to the, they went to the hotel. They couldn't get a drink in the hotel because it was all booked out for hospitality or whatever, even though there's no one there. And so they had to go back. They got a golf buggy. They basically did a Freddie Flint. I've nicked a golf buggy and drove back to the track and found a bar at the track. And they went, and any Irish person that came by, all the different all the different connections heard they were there. And everyone was drinking champagne till all hours and everything. So it was great fun. So Because that was one of the things. One of our first years, the first year I was ever in Dubai, uh, Michael Buckley, Toast New York probably, Michael Buckley had had a big party in the hotel and the bar. And it just went on. It was just amazing. It was one of those, it was like a Cheltenham night. Do you know when you bunk into the, the gold cup winners party or something like that it was like that but in the bars all free booze and everyone's like hugging each other and do you remember we were allowed to do that everyone's kind of hugging each other and uh and drinking away and watching reruns the races and D- dad really in, in his head he had this idea that he'd love to host that and then we weren't he wasn't allowed to do it and uh and they went back to the track anyway and they got they got their their shindig going at the track so it was great well i'm sure they were able to put a few quid behind the bar as well because i think that was his biggest ever payday was it 300 384 grand according to yeah mine. it was something like that for like it was just it was some outrageous amount of money just like for and i i remember watching that not that anyone gives a crap but i remember watching that i was down in ken mare on holidays the kids I'd, i was actually driving around ken mare trying to get a baby asleep in the back of the car and uh, watching the race on my phone and trying not to wake the baby and cheering in whispered tones of go on you good thing go on <laughs> but i had backed it so that was okay amazing well, it, it's so good to finally get the win i mean after five attempts like i said nine runs out and made and to, to get to you, you think it's not going to happen at that stage yeah, well, that's it. And then, and then you're kind of ticking them all off. And then, like, personally, I'm, then I'm going, like, Jesus, we better get Longshot done. Like, because you're thinking, like, you've done it all at this stage. And uh, and he wasn't getting any younger. And, you know, that was probably the end of it, wasn't it? If you think about it, I'm like, just clicking through here. And I, I find it really bad. I'm really bad with dates now. But uh, it's really hard. I think, didn't he beat Marek again after that? But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, but that was that was kind of, you know, if, if that's true, that Richard Hughes was kind of thinking, like, ah, you know, after his first run out there, maybe he was on the wane at that stage, you know, and they'd always said, like, so I remember I used to say, I used to say like, do you know, do you not think like that, you know, they go, it's one of those mad big sprints at Royal Alaska, one of the, like one of those handicapped sprints that they would know, be made from with this, and Eddie was going, I'd never insult the horse by running him in a handicap, you know, that kind of stuff. Like they never wanted him to, to, to race him if he wasn't able to mix it, you know, and they, they never wanted and. And I think he probably started to show at home that I think he might have become, I suppose, you know, he still, he ran plenty after that. But towards the end, I think he kind of told them, as they always say, the horse tells the trainer, he kind of told them that he wasn't up, like he wasn't up for it anymore. And he really, I think he was quick enough to get into his retirement and to enjoy it, you know, like to get into the string vest and open a can of beer like yourself, Mark. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, the first time I think certainly in, in one of those quality group ones, where you see him on the wane of it is that when he's gone for three in a row at Ascot. And I remember you being how, how excited you were. That was the first time I think he, he doesn't seem to cruise into it in the way that he usually did. Yeah, that you... was against Gold, that was against Gold Dream, wasn't it? Now I remember the race, you kind of you nearly forgave that because it kind of wasn't run to suit that year. Like they didn't go mad up front. It was nearly like they ran the race to, to beat him, like which they may have, because he was probably not unbeatable, but he certainly was the favourite, you know. Well, yeah, and, uh, he's going, going for three in a row at this stage. for three in a row, yeah. But I, that's my favourite thing. I really, because, you, you know, you, I don't know, Ascot, all the bars are named after the great champions. And I just would have loved to have a sole power bar. 
And even if they put it down the arse out of nowhere, I would have been there every year at the Soul Power Bar, you know. And I didn't want to rest like a seafood restaurant or anything like that, even though Soul would have worked. But I just here, this needs to be a bar, like a like a bar in the normal enclosure, not in the Royal, in the normal enclosure, Punter's Bar. <laughs> and um, but yeah, it didn't happen, unfortunately. He he still won a decent race that season. He won the Flying Five at the Curra. It's a it was a Group Two then. It's now a Group One. Um, interestingly, it was on yielding ground, which at the time yeah. everyone kind of. He was actually a decent enough price that day. People thought he just couldn't couldn't go on anything anything worse than good ground. Yeah, he's just good enough. Chris Hayes rode him to win that day as well because we've gone through a few. Joe, we've gone through Frankie. He finished uh, fourth going Mecca's Angel in the in the Nunthorpe at York under Frankie, and then uh, Chris Hayes took over the ride. Then and rode him a few times, um, but he really won in the car. Beat Mar- Marek really close. Marek nearly sold powered him, nearly really closed closed down fast. and just didn't quite get there, but. Uh, that was yeah, that was a good performance. I think that's only that's a sorry only, but it's a group two, isn't it? But um, yeah, and uh, group one now, group one now. The group one now was a group two at the time, and but it was nice to win because he never got to run at home. Well, like, that's since what he was, was born, he never, was it was it yeah. frustrating? There were so few. There was, there was basically no opportunities for him in Ireland, really. Uh, yeah, that's that's the truth, and it's, and, it, and and to be fair, like in a way, you could say he's paved the way because there are now. Like the, the 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 program book has changed a little bit. I think he's one of the main reasons why himself and Slade Power, one of the main reasons why it's him so far mainly because uh he would we would have loved to run him at home. You know, he'd love to be running in group ones in Ireland, but there was none basically. So the group two was the best you could do and and uh, and winning that day was lovely. It was nice to get a big one at home. Yeah, so that turned out to be his last win. That was when he was an eight year old. He ha- he ran again. He ran as a nine and ten year old <clears throat> to a decent level, not not quite at his best. You've kind of touched on it already, but maybe maybe take us through that decision to how how do you come around to actually deciding right that's that's it now. Yeah, I think um, it just kind of naturally happened, like where he was. I don't know, like he wasn't getting beaten. Like he, he finished like fourth in Maidan, beaten three quarters of a length. He finished, you know, he's getting he's. A few, he's putting good runs, but I just don't, don't think he was ever feeling like the champion anymore. You know what I mean? And uh, he was, he, he'd beaten a short neck in Maidan as well, I think the year before in 2016. But anyway, look, I'm just looking at, I'm looking at the results here. They're all coming back to me, but um, base just wasn't as good as he was. You know, he just, with, with, like us all with age, he'd, he'd been over his peak and on the way down and there's younger younger horses coming through. And and I guess they just didn't want to, he, he was competitive. Like he, he knew when he won, I knew when he was beat. And he'd be he'd sulk a bit when he got beat, and so they figured like Eddie figured like you know he's he he owes us nothing like and he doesn't seem to be enjoying it as much as he used to enjoy it. Especially he doesn't enjoy finishing second or third or fourth or fifth like none of us would. And uh, so then the decision was just to make to retire him. And it was it wasn't sad. It was just it was the right thing at the right time. And like everyone was just so grateful for the times we had with him and everything. And knew it, it'll never be repeated for us anyway. And that it was just we and we we did enjoy it. We've no regrets. I got like silly regrets about not going to York, that kind of, that kind of stuff. But the reality is that so much good came out of it um, that it's it's just something you look back fondly on, really. Yeah, and he was he was very well loved by the the racing public. What do, why do you think that was? Uh, I think because he kept turning up and his style of running as well. He, like he turned up for so long, he was a, he was a, like a stable dish, and like you said, he won some of the big races, the big days, so people would recognise the name. His style of racing was really exciting. Um, I think the fact that he wasn't from one of the top yards might have been a, a, a reason why as well. And uh, and just, he was a bit of an underdog. And it's actually a bit of a bugbear. Like, so his highest ever rating was 119. So, I mean, could you name another 
five-time Group One winner who's rated only 119 at, at its peak. Like so, do, like do you know what I mean? So he's always under. I think like kind of under. So and maybe it's, that was his style. He'd only ever get there, you know. Uh, so, but he probably wasn't. I'm not going to say he didn't get the respect he's He probably, probably, probably wasn't quite a. Uh, he was an underdog always, even even at his peak, and even when he was going off favorite, he was probably going. I, was, I suppose in a five furlong sprint, you're never going to be going off odds on. But uh, he was uh, he was somebody that people could get behind because he wasn't one of the big big guys. I think. Yeah, and I know particularly for Eddie. I've seen Eddie Lynham say, <clears throat> Eddie said, uh, "Soul was the horse who who put him on the map." You know, so I'm sure it was as, as difficult for him to retire as anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think, and the other one of the other reasons, like to think about how how often he turned up. Like one of the stats that Dad loves trotting out is that he ran 65 times, and and 50 of them were in uh, were in group was it 50 of them were in group races basically, and 30 or 30 were in group ones. He ran 30 times in group ones. Jesus, like that's got to be some sort of record. Like, do you know what I mean? We've touched on jockeys, but we'll get, we'll get a bit more into it just for a second. Johnny Murta and Richard Hughes were both retired while. Uh, uh, riding them, but Frankie Dettoria rode him once and once only. Was he uh, not up? Not up to it? Uh, no, he was great. Frankie was great that day. I remember well because he, he would. We had all the grandkids there and everything, like so. I.e., my kids, but uh, and they were all in the parade ring before. And he came over, he's high five and everyone. He's really chatty and like lovely and friendly and everything. I don't you if you look back at that day, you remember they stayed. Uh, there was some there was some out of a horse got stuck under the stall there's some really long delay but Soul Power was already in at that stage and every horse was taken out except Frankie just basically sat up on the side of the stalls and left Soul Power in there I think he said, he said the horse is asleep and she just left him in there and not a bother him and he ran really well he finished fourth on ground that was too soft I think he was drawing the wrong side as well and Frank came out and said he loved he said he loved riding the race and everything he said he really enjoyed it and um, he uh, but then I think he just wouldn't commit or couldn't commit to riding him in the other big races that season or whatever you know so I don't know why she's fucking done that <laughs> so, uh, the benefit of listeners uh, the lights gone out in Paddy's because <laughs> he couldn't because he could, couldn't commit to riding uh, the horse in, in some of the bigger races or in big races later on the season I think Eddie just wanted a jockey that he could a go-to jockey at that stage you know and to be fair I'd say earlier on in his career you might have got a commitment off Frankie not Frankie's career, the horse's career, but at this stage he was coming towards the end of it, you know. Yeah, fair. Um, can you name all twelve jockeys who rode him? You need to close the racing post page you have open. Uh, right? <laughs> okay, well, Pat Smullen. Yeah. Uh, there's twelve of them. Twelve. Fuck. Okay, and then, well, the answer is no, but I'll try. So Pat Smullen, Keegan Latham, uh, Chris Hayes, Frankie Dettori, Richard Hughes, Johnny Murta. Ryan Moore. Um, let's see. Did Christoph sue me on ride him one day? He was booked to ride him. He never rode him, I think. No. Uh, Framberry. Yeah. Uh, Colin Keane, no. He was pretty too young. Um, let me think. Wayne Lorden. Yeah. She won a group one. How did I forget that? Uh, that's nine. Um, Jamie Spencer. Yeah, well done. Just the once, but yeah, well done. Yeah. Uh, so two more. I'm struggling to remember who you've missed here, but there's there's one I know I knew you'd miss because he wrote him just once. Did he write him early or late? I'll give you the year, 2012. You see, there was a time when uh, when Murta would be... there. I think that 
the Temple Stakes was on the same day as Irish Derby there. There's, there was some big clash with the big Irish means. There's one day you always had to get a... Oh, was it um, Paul Hannigan? Correct. Well done. Well yeah. done. That's 11. I think you've got them all there. Who else? Come on. I've missed one. I think I'll flick. I've definitely, I think I've only got 11. Let's see. I'll know exactly. As you got Fran Berry. You got Fran Berry. Ryan Moore, Richard Hughes, Frankie. Ryan Moore. Might have left out Ryan Moore. No, I didn't leave him out. Keegan Latham. Maybe your counting's just bad. Yeah, sorry. I think I got them all. Yeah, Jeez, that's good. <laughs> Fair play to you. Yeah. Um, how often do you sit down of a Friday or Saturday night with a glass of wine or a pint of beer and just watch some of the replays of Soul Power's uh, wins? Um, whenever I'm feeling down, like honestly, like which is never, never. But if I'm ever pissed off, I'd often just stick on a few of the races because they're just great memories, you know. And just watch them. They don't take long either. It's only a, a minute or less. So was great, it was one of the great one of the great ones to research for uh, for this. That like I, I need only really watch. I can only watch the like only have to watch the last three furlongs of the race really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so where is he now? Do you know? Uh, I know exactly where he is. I went to visit him about a month ago, uh, or maybe two months ago in the summer. He's in British Bay, near very near British Bay, kind of Ashford in Wicklow. And John Cullinan uh, is a fella who finds and breaks horses. And uh, and he's loads of foals down there, whatever. And Soul Power and Empirical Power, actually, the first ever horse, are sharing a field together. And they're loving life. They went down, we met, brought the kids down, and were giving them carrots and sugar cubes and all sorts of stuff. And uh, it was great. Yeah, he's, he's um, yeah, he's fly. He's, he's really he's, he's fat as a fool, but just really enjoying himself. Loves it. And my final question for you then: There was a time when, um, if you saw a horse with power as the second part of the name, you knew it was one of yours. But you've now been usurped. Yeah, the King Power lads. I know, and do you know what's going to happen as well? Because they have so many more horses. Like they're obviously going to like people are forgetting. They'll think we must have robbed their name. But the only thing is, though, I did get loads of credit for Annie Power, even though okay. we don't do it. So to be fair, what maybe if what goes around comes around, you know. Paddy, I've loved that. I'm guessing we you've surely got no other stories for us about Soul. I mean, we've 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 been on here over an hour, I think. So yeah, I think I I don't think I do to be honest with you. I think I'm look at my little notes that I wrote. I think I've all the little anecdotes said. Uh, yeah, no, I think I'm I think I'm. Yeah, no, that's it. I've I've them all said. I think at this stage. No, well, on that note, Pat, Patty, it's been it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, just my, I'm just finishing my second can, so it's, we've finished at a perfect time. Yeah, good luck. Did you press record? Ah, <laughs> oh, bollocks. <laughs> You're a gentleman. I, I don't care what they say about you. You're a great man. Oh, thanks, Drew. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. Um, no, not at all. You're more than welcome. I enjoyed that. Well, there you have it. Paddy Power telling us all about soul power. And I am delighted to be joined for some post-podcast analysis by none other than uh, Eamon Dunphy. So, Eamon, I mean, look, Paddy, what can we say? Great guy, really generous with his time. Give us a break. This guy fancies himself. That's weirdly harsh, I would say. I mean, Paddy... No, but hold on a minute. That's not the only thing. There's a lots of... There's a long list. Okay, right. Yeah, go on then. Go on. Uh, He is immature, out of his depth, and a little bit unpleasant. Jesus Christ. Amen. look, the guy gave me over an hour of his time for no benefit. You mean to say he shouldn't be questioned? This fact he shouldn't be questioned? I'm not saying he shouldn't be questioned, but I mean, for God's sake, at least show some gratitude for the fact that he gave up his time. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you're right now. So now you're you're turning it on to me. So, all right, go on then. What, what do you make of my performance interviewing him? I feel embarrassed and ashamed 
that performance. Fucking hell. We're in the business of judging performances. You know, if that was a concert, you'd boo. Okay, this is, I don't know why you came, this is getting pretty hurtful now. To be honest, I, I don't, why are you even here? I mean, I mean, I made a slight snide remark there, and you yeah, know. thank you. Yeah, you did, you did, and you know what? I, I think you only do this sort of sensationalist stuff for the headlines. Look, we're in showbiz, baby. Showbiz or not, I think that's enough for Eamon. So massive thanks to Paddy, um, who tells me his mum and dad will be listening to this. So hello to Sabina and David Power, and all that's left for me to say is please subscribe to the show, leave a review. Share it on social media, tell a friend, tell your nanny, whoever. Anything you do will be a big help and will be massively appreciated. So the next episode is about crisp, and I assure you it's a cracker, so make sure you tune in for it. And now, the musical commentary mashup ending. You are about to hear Power by Kanye West, along with the commentary of those two group ones for Soul Power in 2014, The King's Stand and The Nunthorpe. So, thanks for listening. Good luck. To it, do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it, screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need his theme music. No one man should have all that power. Green Dawn Pearl Secret as they move on down towards the last furlong and a half. Pretty well picked up Jack Dexter joined and passed by Hot Streak, who now moves on into the lead. Being chased by SK Lavar to Jack Dexter, Soul Power. Begin to fly home on the far side. Hot Streak, step a point back. Soul Power is just cruising behind me. They'll need to find racing room pretty soon, though. Stepper Point, Booby Star, they race up with extortions on the far side. Stepper Point just in front, they race towards the line, and Soul Power bursts through and grabs it. What a ride by Richard Hughes. He's won the number on Soul Power.